0: Nicely done. I expect way too little of you while I'm preaching, I can tell. It's good to see you this morning, glad that you're here. If you are a guest of ours, I want you to know that you are our honored guest this morning. We are so honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. Most of you were here last week, if you weren't. Our entire service last week was kind of crafted around prayer and praise as we... Prayed for uh, victims of the the, the storm. Uh, thank God that uh, He blessed us the way that He has. I didn't know last Sunday that by the time we got to this week, another storm, even bigger, would go through the Caribbean. That there would be a earthquake in Mexico. And so many of you have real personal connections to some of those places and some of those people. And of course, all of those people are children of God's. And so I hope that you're still praying. Um, I hope that you're still uh, going to God in prayer on behalf of so many lives that have been not just disrupted, been shattered, and so many lives that have been lost. And and I very much appreciate the leadership of this congregation and their decision to take up a contribution and and kind of allocate all of those funds today to go to help uh, some of those people in need. So um, continue to pray about that. You Look at the title of my sermon this morning, and you might not exactly understand what I'm getting at here, which isn't too unusual, I guess, but um, if I were to ask you right off the bat here, are you ready for when it gets here, you probably wouldn't quite know how to answer that question. You wouldn't exactly know what I was talking about, because I haven't told you yet what it is. However, if I had asked you two weeks ago, are you ready for when it gets here? you would have had an answer. You would have known exactly what I was talking about because a couple of weeks ago, that's all we were talking about. It was what we were focused on. We were kind of obsessed with it. You know, there's this giant storm bearing down on Florida. And I think for the most part, the state of Florida did a really good job of informing us and warning us about what was coming. And I think for the most part, Most people in Florida took those warnings pretty seriously. In fact, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I won't, but if I were to ask for a show of hands of people that took some kind of preparation for that storm that was coming, I suspect everybody here would raise your hand. I mean, we all did something to prepare for that storm. I know that some of you evacuated. Some of you boarded up your house. You know, at the least, you probably collected uh, gasoline and you know ice and, and uh, foodstuffs, those kind of things. Maybe you made a safe place in somewhere in your house. We did. You know, you picked up all the stuff in your yard that might be flying around. You know, when a storm comes. We did. We prepared. You were prepared. I want to share with you a couple things that we were reminded of right as that storm was was headed our way. Nothing new. Just a couple things that we were reminded of. First. Knowing what's coming and being prepared for what's coming, they're two different things. There's absolutely no correlation between knowing what's coming and being prepared for what's coming. And you know this is true in your, in your, in your normal you know, walking around life, right? I mean, some of you are getting ready to go off to college in a short period of time, or maybe you know a new job or something. Some of you might be ready to get married pretty shortly. Maybe you're about to have a child or a second child. You're about to change jobs. Maybe you're about to retire. You know, something is coming and you know it's coming. But you might not be too prepared for it. Even though there's something in us that kind of makes us think, if I know it's coming, then I'm just assuming I'm prepared. But that's not the case. And then the second thing that we're sort of reminded of, preparation is better than a plan. And preparation is better than a promise. You know, every year we Floridians are warned, have a hurricane plan. We hear it all the time, have a hurricane plan. I had a hurricane plan. I did. You know, in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I know what I'll do. You know, depending on the size and, you know, what's going on, I kind of have a plan. But then as that thing got closer and closer, I thought, no, pretty good chance I'm not going to have power for a while, and I realized I don't have any batteries in my house, and by the time I realized I didn't have any batteries in my house, there were no batteries in Hillsborough County. You know, I had a plan, <laughs> but I wasn't quite prepared as I thought I was. Luckily, Martha had some Yankee candles that were kind of our power source for a while, our light source. But this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about being prepared for what's coming. Now, I'm not talking about a storm Now, I'm not talking about stocking up on batteries and bread. I'm talking about something that's much more important than that. Our text this morning is going to come from the book of James. You can go ahead and be opening up your Bibles to James chapter 1. James, most scholars agree, was written by the brother of Jesus. Half-brother of Jesus, at least, son of Mary. And James is going to weigh in on being prepared for what's coming. In fact, James is going to say, in no uncertain terms, if you do what I'm about to tell you to do, you're going to be blessed in what you do. James says there's something that you can do right now that will bless you for what's coming. There's something that you can do right now that will make your life better when what is coming gets here. Again, this is coming from the brother of Jesus. This James that, that wrote the book of James wasn't James the Apostle. wasn't the brother of John. It was the brother of Jesus. And it appears that Jesus' brother James wasn't even a disciple, wasn't even a follower when Jesus was alive. In fact, if you remember, Jesus' family came to him one time and kind of came to the conclusion Jesus is out of his mind. They came and tried to stop Jesus from doing what he was doing. So it appears that James wasn't really even a disciple during Jesus' time you know, as he was teaching. And then Jesus dies on a cross. And James has to be thinking, wow, what a waste. And then James meets Jesus on the other side of the crucifixion, on the other side of the resurrection, and James goes, uh-oh, I was wrong. And James, the brother of Jesus, becomes this tremendous influencer, tremendous leader in the church, especially uh, in Jerusalem. James believed, James was convinced, his brother was the Messiah. I want you to think about that for a minute. All of you that have brothers, what would it take (laughs) for you to be convinced that your brother was the Son of God? Think about that. I've got two older brothers. Never. There's never been a moment that has ever crossed my mind that one of them might be the Messiah. And yet that's James's conviction. So when James speaks, we ought to pay attention to what he says. He writes this incredibly practical book. And here's what he has to say. It's going to sound familiar to you. It's, it's chapter 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. James says, do not merely listen to the Word. And there's a reason why he uses the word listen. Because in those days, there there was no New Testament. In fact, if there was, you know, James, what he was writing would be in it. Nobody had a New Testament on their nightstand. In those days, if you wanted to know what God said, you went someplace and you listened to the Word of God being read. If you were a Jew, you went to the temple. If you're outside of Jerusalem, you'd go to a synagogue somewhere. But they were used to sitting in environments where they would sit and listen to people read God's Word. If James were writing this today, I think he might say, don't merely read the Word and so deceive yourselves. And of course, you're smart enough to know what James is saying here. Don't deceive yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking, if I just hear it, if I just listen... If I just read it, that's really all that matters. James would be saying, that's not what makes the difference. You're deceiving yourself if you think that's what makes the difference. And I know that we know this passage. You know, you've heard it so many times, but again, we've got to pay attention to what James is saying because somehow, we have somehow deluded ourselves into thinking, if I am just in the room, I'm a better person. If I just attend a class, participate in that class, somehow I'm a better person. If I just read a book, if I just read a chapter a night, you know, I've been to church three weeks in a row now, doesn't that count for something? Now, understand, and I think you know me well enough to know, I'm a big fan of us all getting together. I'm a big fan of, you need to be here on Sunday. You need to be in a class. I'm certainly a big fan of you paying attention during a sermon. And there's a lot of good to be drawn from those kind of things. But if that is all we do, James says you're missing it. If that's all you do, if you somehow deceive yourselves into thinking that's all I've got to do, James says you're fooling yourself. Just reading, just hearing, just listening. That's not what makes the difference. Well, James, then what makes the difference? James would say, I'm glad you asked. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. James says it's not enough to hear, it's not enough to listen, it's not enough to be convinced, to be convicted. We think, I'll come to church and I'll hear something, I'll see something, and it'll convict me. And somehow we relate that to some kind of religious experience. Wow, I was so convicted today. Wow, that was so convicting. I hope I come back next week and be convicted again. You know, see ya. And we think that's all there is. And James would wonder, where in the world did you get that idea? Where did you come up with that thought? The goal is not just to hear. The goal is not just to listen. The goal is not just to read. Those things are important. Of course they are. But James would tell you that is not the goal. The goal is to do something about what we hear and about what we read, to do something about what we've learned. And then James uses this great analogy. I think it's actually one of the best analogies that James, uh, uh, that that you find anywhere in the New Testament. Some of you might be wondering, what's this thing back here that's covered up? Several of you have already tried to put it up, put it in the back room. Um, But James uses the analogy of a mirror. So I brought a mirror this morning to really distract everyone, I know. But James is going to use this great analogy. And James says, anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I'm going to lean this up here. But you people sitting on the side, you're lucky now. All of you sitting here, other people are watching you. So, But here's what James is saying. To listen to Scripture, to just hear Scripture... It's like getting up in the morning and looking in a mirror and going, "Wow, that's terrible." Whoa, what a mess." And then going out the door to you know school or work or you know, church or the mall or somewhere. It's like looking in a mirror and then forgetting what you see, and not doing anything about it. We all know when we look into a mirror, we're reminded something needs to be done. <laughs> right? When you look in a mirror, aren't you reminded? Something needs to happen here. Something needs to be done. James says if we look into the Word of God and we just read it, we just listen to it, we don't do anything about it. It's like seeing something that needs to be done and not doing anything about it. Which, by the way, is something none of you would do in real life. Because when you see something, you do something. The reality is a mirror requires a response. In fact, a mirror demands a response. Listen, I know, if you're older than 10 years old in here, you looked in a mirror this morning. And I can tell every one of you how long you looked in that mirror this morning. I can. I know how long you looked in the mirror this morning, each and every one of you. You looked into a mirror until it got better. For some of you, that was longer than others. You know, people give us bald guys a hard time. It doesn't change much from nighttime to morning. But you all looked into a mirror until it got better. And some of you thought it was better, and then you realized, I don't think it's better enough. Some of you thought you looked into a mirror and it was better, and you're walking out the door this morning, and you got a glimpse of yourself in another mirror. And you went back to the the bathroom mirror, and you, you know, I've got to change something. I've got to pull it back, or pin it up, or comb it over, or change the outfit. And your husband's going, Come on, we've got to go. Your parents are going, Come on, we're going to be late. And he goes, But it's not better enough. And you stayed there, and maybe you were late to church this morning because you had to make it better. It's just the way we are. A mirror requires a response. We get out of bed, we look in a mirror, we're convicted. And then we do something about it. You all know that's how it works. By the way, again, we know this is, right, this is the way it works in the real world. What if you were to get up tomorrow morning, Monday morning, and you get yourself dressed and you walk into the bathroom and you look in the mirror and go, Whoa, that's not right. You know, your hair's all over your head. You know, your shirt's buttoned up wrong. Maybe you try to tie your tie and it's way off. And, you know, you need to shave and you got toothpaste running down your cheek. And you see all these things that, you know, need to be done and you just go off to work. And your boss says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Man, you're a mess. I can't let you go into the meeting looking like that. I can't let you go out on the sales floor looking like that. I can't let you represent our business looking like that. And you say, but I looked in the mirror. As if somehow we get credit for just looking in the mirror. We know in the real world, we don't get credit for just looking in the mirror. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, somehow we have deceived ourselves into thinking, just looking's all I need to do. Just reading's all I need to do. Just hearing. That's that's enough. James says, if that's what your pattern is, if that's what your thinking is, if that's what your habit is, you've really fooled yourself. And by the way. If you are not in the habit of doing that now in this season of your life, whatever that season might be, if you're not in the habit now of doing what you know God is calling you to do in this season of your life, you won't be prepared to do it in the next season of your life. And we fool ourselves all the time that way as well. If you're not doing what God has asked you to do while you're in high school, there's a pretty good chance you'll still be just hearing and not doing by the time you get to college by the time you get married. And we keep thinking, yeah, but you know, in the next season, the next chapter, then I'll start doing what God really calls me to do. Then I'll get serious. James would say, no, you're fooling yourself. You need to do what you know God is calling you to do. If you're not doing it now, you won't be prepared to do it then. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, James doesn't stop there. James says, but, however, James is about to change direction on us. He's about to offer a new idea. He's about to give us a glimpse of a a new way to solve the problem. He's going to explain how we can prepare for what's coming next. But, the man who looks intently, looks intently. This isn't a glance. This isn't a peek. This is a stop, pay attention, look intently. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, And continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it. There's that doing it again. But doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You know, usually we think of laws as being a little bit constricting. James says, talking about a perfect law that gives freedom. Well, what is the perfect law that gives freedom? Now, we could talk about that. But I want to take you back to the very last night that Jesus was alive before the cross. He's with his disciples. He's with those men that had been with him for a little over three years. They'd heard his teaching. They 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 knew Jesus. They heard him answer the question What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. By the way, any rabbi would have given that answer. That wasn't uh, surprising. But then Jesus does surprise them when He says, I'll give you the second command, greatest command, love your neighbor as yourself. They'd heard that. They heard Jesus say that. They'd heard Jesus' teaching. But on this very last night before Jesus is crucified, He's with His disciples and He turns to him and He says, I'm going to give you a new command. A new command I give you. And they're thinking, okay, we've got like 631 commands. So you're going to give us, like, number 632? Not at all. In fact, I think Jesus saves the best for last. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the new command. Love one another as I have loved you. If you forget the other 631 commands... Don't forget this one. Love one another, not like you used to be loved. Not like you'd like to be loved. That's the golden rule. Jesus ratches it up to like the platinum rule. Love one another as I have loved you. And I'm sure that those men who heard Jesus give this brand new commandment would talk about that new commandment in the next few days and weeks and, and months. Because very shortly after giving that new command, Jesus is going to lay down His life and be crucified on a cross for those men. And for us. And that's the kind of sacrificial love that, that, that He's talking about. And I think that's a huge part of the perfect law of liberty that James is talking about. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law of liberty. I don't think James is talking about 631 rules. I don't think he's talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not sure he's even talking about the two commandments of, you know, love God and love people. But a big part of it has to be love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus said. You're to love one another. I think he's talking about the liberating love of Jesus. That we are to to show and we are to share to the people around us. I'm supposed to respond to that perfect law of liberty. I'm supposed to respond to you in the same way that God through Christ responded to me. I'm supposed to respond to everybody who looks like me, thinks like me, acts like me. And I'm supposed to respond to people who really don't have much in common with me the same way that God through Christ responded to me. And then, and then James says something that's really kind of incredible. Back to James 1. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Now there's a little Greek thing going on here that you need to be aware of. James is not saying that what you do will be blessed. It's actually much better than that. James is saying that you personally will be blessed. When you do what God has called you to do, you will be blessed. That means you'll be happy. Your life will be better if you do what God has called you to do. And by the way, there are people in this room right now, there are people sitting beside you, and maybe it's you, who can verify and attest to that truth. Not that their life has been really easy. Not that everything always turned out exactly like they would have scripted it.
1: Not that there weren't a lot of heartaches
0: along the way, but there are people in this room who will tell you, when I did what God called me to do, I was blessed. Even if it didn't turn out like I'd hoped it would, I was blessed. Even if it went against everything that the world was telling me, even if it was so counterculture to you know to society's uh, uh, teaching, I was blessed when I did what God called me to do. That's why it's so important for us to be prepared for what's coming. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week actually, but as I wrap up this morning, I I want to end with just really two pretty simple questions. What are you doing now that you know you shouldn't be doing? It's not deep. It's not a confusing question. It's just a really simple question. What are you doing now that you know you shouldn't be doing? But you're telling yourself, well, as soon as I, well, once I, well, well, pretty soon I'm going to, what are you doing now that you shouldn't be doing? Maybe you're planning on stopping it someday, but today you're still doing it. And the other side of that is, what are you not doing now that you know you should be doing? What are you not doing now? And you're telling yourself, well, I'm going to start doing that someday. James would say, you're fooling yourself. You're just deceiving yourself. And I want to close this morning with a statement that I think I can back up. It might not apply to you if you're not a Christian. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this whole stuff's kind of new to you, um, it might not apply, but I think it applies to Christians our greatest regrets in life are associated with hearing and not doing. I'm convinced, as Christians, our greatest regrets in life can all be traced back to hearing and not doing. Think back about your greatest regrets. And in every situation, you were confronted with a mirror. And you were demanded a response. And you said, yeah, I know I should, I know I should, I know what God wants me to do, I know what the Bible says... but I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, I know what God's will is, I'm a smart person. I get it. But I'm going to do it my way. Not today. Not this time. And you walked away without doing what you know in your heart God was calling you to do. Doing, not hearing. That's what makes the difference. This morning... What do you need to stop doing this morning? What do you need to start doing? This morning I would challenge you to find the courage to stare intently into that perfect law of liberty. To stare intently into that teaching that might be a little bit uncomfortable for you. You know, that part of the Bible that you'd rather ignore. That, that thing that just, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of keeps laying on your heart. That thing that you know you're wrestling with, but if I ignore it, maybe I won't have to deal with it. James would say, I want you to stare intently into that perfect law of liberty. And I want you not just to hear, not just to see, not just to listen, not just be convicted. No. I want you to do something about it. To act on it. Now for some of you this morning, that might mean making a commitment to Jesus. Some of you have never done that. You've heard it. You've read it. You know all about it. You've never really repented of your sins. You never went public and said, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's the Son of God. You're never baptized into Christ. You're going to do it someday. That's the plan. Why don't you do it today? What's keeping you? from making that step today, from actually putting Christ on in baptism, saying, Jesus is my Lord. Now, for others of you, maybe you're just reminded that that God's Word demands a response. That as I look into God's Word, as I hear God's Word, I need to do something about it. I need to start doing something about it. Or I need to stop doing something about it. Or maybe you need to respond in a different way for different reasons. But Dave's got a song that he's going to use as a song of encouragement. There's going to be some people here in front of the auditorium. If we can help you this morning in any way, by praying with you, praying for you, anything that we can do, meet us down here at the front. Let's stand and sing.